Hi, this is Bill Hoppy, Buffalo Sabres beat reporter, and welcome to episode four of Buffalo Press Box. I'm joined by Nick Sabato, Buffalo Bills beat reporter, sports editor of the Niagara Gazette. And Nick, the Bills, a 37-3 win over the Washington Commanders, a dominant performance by the defense. You were there for it. You said last week the game was going to be one at the line of scrimmage. Uh, just The Bills' defense was just terrific. Just what did you see from them? Uh, I saw an aggressive Sean McDermott. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean McDermott doesn't like to blitz. I think over the last, you know, well, I guess since he's been here in Buffalo, it's been his scheme. Maybe Leslie Frazier ran it, but it was Sean McDermott's scheme. And it was relatively vanilla the last few years. It was based on, hey, let's go get the quarterback with four pass rushers, play coverage, don't let up any big plays. And I think that's kind of gotten stale a little bit. Well, he saw, for all intents and purposes, a rookie quarterback in Sam Howell and smelled blood in the water. Uh, he blitzed 10 times, which maybe doesn't seem like a lot, but for the Bills, that's that's quite a bit. And it generated three sacks, two interceptions. Um, they had nine sacks total. It was... It was a refreshing performance from the defense and John McDermott as the play caller. Now the pass rush, as you were talking about, I mean, it, it's been it's been pretty good the first few weeks. Leonard Floyd was a factor again. I mean, the rotation seemed to be working. What else did you see go into just them getting to the quarterback and winning the line of scrimmage? Um, well, I, th- I think it, it's not just getting to the quarterback. It's uh, or, or getting sacks. It, it's affecting throws um howell you know they hit howell like three consecutive plays um on the first series and then the third play jordan phillips kind of caught him in the chest and he throws an interception to terrell bernard i think on um all four of his interceptions he the throw in some way was affected whether he was hit um whether it was you know aj epinesa on the one right before halftime that mike hyde got just got his hands up. He's six foot six. Got his hands up, affected the the throw, and Micah Hyde read it the whole way. I think that, you know the Bills had talked about, um, you know, Howell kind of had a tendency to hold the ball um, on some of the longer throws, especially on third down. Um, on on other throws, he would get the ball out quick. Like he he wanted to get the ball out at the top of his drop. Like whatever whatever his drop was, whether it was, you know, they had a lot of, you know, one one step drops um in the first two games, but you know, whether it was one, two, three, whatever it was, he wanted the ball out pretty pretty shortly after that. And so he had a tendency to lock onto his receivers and the Bills kind of read some of those and were able to get in front of him. AJ Epinesa, as you mentioned, uh he he pressured Howell. He had the interception. He returned for a touchdown. He's he's been a guy. You're talking about him recently, but he's been a guy. I, th- I think sometimes he gets overlooked. Just what have you seen get it, go into his start this season? I talked to AJ um, during training camp, and when you look at his numbers, he had six and a half sacks last year, but he missed half of his tackles. Think about that. He missed more than half of his tackles last year, so he he felt it was. A matter of he was he was in the right place a lot he just didn't finish the play so maybe if he, he misses four fewer tackles he's got double digit sacks and I think that's a, a, a big big difference I mean you saw it Sunday as well um, 
the drive where the the commanders were stopped on the goal line. They had Howell on that long scramble. He had him wrapped up, and Howell got free, ran for almost 20 yards. That's a play you'd like to have him finish. Um, but he didn't, and then you know he kind of got it back later later in the game with the pressure to force an interception, and then kind of got one for himself, um, and then a sack late in the game. I think you know he's a valuable piece to the defense. What his role will be uh, once Von Miller comes back, we'll see. He's right now he got the fewest number of uh, snaps for defensive ends, but you know he, he, I think he's valuable to them. Terrell Bernard was a guy that we, we've talked about. Um, there's been a focus on him. That middle linebacker spot was such a question mark, and he, here he is. He's had a terrific start. I mean, really one of the best performances, if not the best performance of any defensive player uh, this week in the NFL. Just what has made him such a fit, in your opinion? Um, I think he gets the ball. Um, 28 tackles this year leads the team. Um He's got two interceptions the last two weeks. He's not Tremaine Edmonds. Um, it, it's too early to say that he is, or even close to Tremaine Edmonds, but um, I think he's different but the same. I mean, he's not He's not 6'5", he's not 250, so he's not going to step into the hole and take on um, guards and tackles and centers and free up blockers to make tackles like Edmonds could. But he can make some of those splash plays. He blitzed seven times yesterday. Um, you know, and he, and he he had a pretty big impact when he did blitz. I think the Bills had three or four sacks when he blitzed. Um, a couple of interceptions when he blitzed. He had two sacks. Uh, I think that's that's the key. He's just got a nose for the ball, and I think that's instinctual. I think it's being prepared and understanding the offense that he's playing against. Uh, but it's going to be time will tell. The Bills were not great against the run yesterday. Some of that was because I think they were being a little more aggressive than usual with some of the blitzes and things like that. McDermott talked about it after the game that he could have put them in some better positions there. Um, that kind of comes with with you know just just being aggressive. But he's two hundred thirty pounds. How is he going to hold up when teams want to run right at him? That's the big question. I think it's an interesting point you make. So Josh Allen, he had a pretty good game, probably not not on the level as the week prior, but he, he was he was pretty good against the Commanders. I mean, how good does he have to be to beat the Dolphins, though? I mean, does he have to be Josh Allen of week two, Josh Allen that we've seen for a lot of the last three years? Just what does he have to be to beat the Dolphins? I don't think he has to throw for 400 yards. Um, I think he has to be better than what he was against the commanders for sure. I mean, you just a little bit over 200 yards. It was, you know, a sloppy, sloppy conditions, but, um, he took some chances, got away with some, um, the interception he had kind of amounted to a punt on third and long, but it wasn't, uh, Gabe Davis wasn't open. Right. <laughs> I mean, for sure. And, and then he didn't put the ball in a position where, where Davis could have, you know, make a play on it. So that wasn't great. Um, harmless, but not great. You know, there's just got to be some more consistency there. I think um, he made some some pretty fantastic throws, uh, several to Stephon Diggs. But again, it was kind of the Diggs show. Where where was everybody else in the passing game yesterday? There was very little Dalton Kincaid, very little Dawson Knox. 
aside from that the touchdown, very little Gabe Davis. I think you'd probably like to see a little more diversity in 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 the offense. Some of that is what the defense gives them. You know, some of that is what the play is called. And I think Allen is intentionally, you know, saying I need to force feed Diggs. Um, but they're going to need a little more balanced attack against the Dolphins if they're going to win. And I think Allen, Allen has to be that franchise quarterback. He has to be the Madden cover guy. What that looks like, I don't know. Does it look, is it 300 yards and 70 rushing yards? Is it 250 and 50 rushing yards? The numbers, I don't, I don't think, he just have to has to be that guy. He has to make some plays. He has to make some of those wild plays, I think, um, for the Bills to beat the Dolphins and eventually be contenders. So this game is shaping up to be, it reminds me of the early 90s, really, Bills-Dolphins, all the chaos that accompanied it uh, each time they played, two or three times a year. I mean, it started getting going again last year with three terrific games. And then, I mean, this, I mean, first place on the line this week, uh, just what the the Dolphins are coming off of just a tremendous performance against the Broncos putting up 70 points. It, it's hard to believe the NFL team put up 70 points, but I mean, two has been really just, to me, he's been entering his prime and he's been becoming what everyone thought he would be two or three years ago. Uh, what does the pass rush have to do to get to him? He's only been sacked once this year. What do they have to do to get to Tua? I don't know if they necessarily have to sack him all that much. Um, I think they they have to they have to affect him in some way. Like they, they didn't sack Jimmy Garoppolo at all, but they 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 hit him a couple of times. They got in his face a couple of times, affected some throws, and that made a difference. I think that's the same thing. Um, I, um, I talked to Greg Rousseau last week, and and he talked about. It doesn't matter if you sack a guy. If you hit him enough times, he's going to start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about Tua. You know, Tua had the concussions last year. And then there's a lot of a lot of talk in the, in the offseason. Like he took jujitsu or something like that to learn how to fall. Did he really? I, yeah. He should have gone to Thurman Thomas's uh, school of falling. He was Thurman Thomas was a If you watch old clips of him, he was a master faller, I think, in my opinion. He just knew how to take a hit. I, I don't, but I don't know if you can, I don't know if that's necessarily like a thing. Like you can just <laughs> learn how to hit. I think when someone throws you to the ground, I think you're going to go whatever, wherever direction they throw you. Like no, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. And, and he hasn't been hit yet. So like, we don't, we don't know if that, that, that jujitsu or judo or whatever it is that he took is, is actually working. Um, but if you hit him enough times, you know, I guess they're going to find out. Um, the question is, can they get to him before he lets the ball go? Uh, Mike McDaniel has is, is been a pretty good offensive offensive play caller this year for them, and he's done some creative things to get Tyreek Hill open, and Tua's gotten the ball out. So, you know, that's I think that's the big key. Can they get to him before he gets the ball out? And if they can't, there's going to be a lot of Tyreek Hill. What can the Bills do to slow down Tyreek Hill? Well, I mean, he's the he's the fastest player in the NFL, unquestioned. Like, you know, I've heard several times that like Jalen Waddle is just as fast. He is not. <laughs> um, it, it, speed is not a a 
it's it's a very much a measurable trait. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and Tyree kills measures way way better than everybody else in the NFL. I think you just you, you if he gets the ball in his hands and gets ahead of steam, you you know they're going to be in trouble. Um, so does that mean they're going to blitz as much as they did against the Commanders? Probably not. I think you'll see some of the old the old defense defensive game plan the one that they they pulled out on um um uh Patrick Mahomes you know with the Chiefs Mm -hmm. and just kind of try and keep everything in front of him obviously we saw in that 13 seconds game that sometimes that doesn't work either because he just ran away from everybody else Uh, but they they did a pretty good job of him in Miami um last year Uh, I think they they got him that he got loose once and that was about it um so, so that was that was a you know maybe we see some of that, um, but they're gonna find ways to get him the ball. It's just a matter of you know making sure he just doesn't get loose afterwards. How much are you just looking forward to this game? As far as as I was talking about the rivalry, I mean the AFC East has become such a. I think it's a terrific division again. It, I mean it. it really some of the top teams in the Bills and Dolphins. I mean, they, they, the Bills and Dolphins haven't had this in a long time. I mean, I mean, you experienced the Bills-Dolphins rivalry growing up. What do you – just what do you – what are you looking forward to seeing this weekend? Um, I think that it's going to be a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't even – like, I, I, I can't imagine it being a shootout. I, I just I, – for whatever reason, I don't, like – Think it's gonna be nine to six? I don't think it'll be nine <laughs> to six, but like in the twenties or the or the thirties or whatever, like low thirties. I, I can't see it being in the forties. Um, I guess it could be, but I just don't have that feeling because you know whenever you expect something like that, it never it never happens that way. Like when the Bills played the Chiefs, like the only the only game that got there was that the thirteen seconds game. Every other game was like in the twenties or a blowout, um, but. It's two really good teams, or or two teams we think are really good. It's still really early in the season, but I think it's got to be the marquee game on the schedule this week. I know the Jets are playing um, in in Sunday Night Football, but I, I, given that Rodgers got hurt, I would I would imagine that NBC would like like that decision back and be able to get the Bills and the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. Week four flex game. I don't know. Maybe we'll see it someday. That'd be something though. It would be a fun primetime game, though. You're right. And I remember we talk about me watching old football games all the time. I've, I've been watching a Bills-Dolphins Monday night game from 1988. And they used to play in primetime all the time. It was amazing. They were they were amazing games. And I'm looking forward to watching this one and rekindling some memories of the 90s and 80s and all that. I think that's it. I think people forget what, it, what a rivalry that was. Yeah, it, like, was. it was. It was chaos. I was telling someone today, it was like, like the whole week was just like crazy every time they played the Dolphins. Brian, the Brian Cox game. Oh, yeah. Um, he was he was one of the most hated guys for Bills fans. and like He was Tom Brady before Tom Brady, and he didn't even have to do anything good to – to get that hated he, mm, just, he, gave him, he gave him the finger that was it yeah i remember a lot of people forget about this i remember you can look it up when the bills clinched the division over the dolphins in 1995 in december I, I, he got ejected and so did carwell gardner and they were like yeah i think they were like fighting in the tunnel I yeah mean, that, I, mean, <laughs> I mean how many times do you hear about guys fighting in the tunnel i mean that's that, that's crazy 
But it was, I mean, it was at the height of the rivalry. And then they played in the playoffs a couple weeks later. Yes. And I want to say Steve Tasker had a rushing touchdown, or or he had a touchdown in the game. I know Tim Tindale had, like, a long touchdown. The Canadian Comet, yes, he did. I was at that game, and the Bills set, I don't know if they still have it, but the Bills set the NFL rushing record for a playoff game. And whatever the score was in that game, I... the Bills won by like two touchdowns, 15 points maybe or something. But the game was not that close. They just beat the living hell out of them. And it was, it was, that was one of the, maybe the, the best football game I've ever been to in my life. Well, yeah, to me, like everybody talks about the Patriots now because of Tom Brady and all. Like, that was like until it was like Yankees Red Sox until 04. It wasn't really a rivalry because, you know, the Yankees always won. Right. Until they didn't. Like that—that that was the Bills-Patriots rivalry. Like the Patriots just always won, mm-hmm. and before that, the Bills just dominated them because historically they weren't very good. The Patriots, the Bills-Dolphins, like that was a legit back and forth, at least in late '80s, early '90s, mid mid '90s. Oh, uh, yeah, obviously not like the '70s when the Dolphins won every game, but that's kind of what I think planted the seeds of it when they, you know, they had so much dominance over the Bills and just a. a one win. I mean, they tear down the goalposts, and that kind of got it going. Even though it didn't get going until later in the '90s, or excuse me, '80s, but um, it was just—I mean, it was something special. I can remember like seeing, like I remember like there were like a lot of kids I went to school with were Dolphins fans. Why? Good lord. Well, I mean, I, I you would imagine like their parent, like they were on TV in the '70s a lot because they were always so good. So that's probably how a lot, like you know, parents picked up on them. Or, you know, you get to the 90s and a kid just wants to be a jerk and cheer against his parents or his siblings or whatever becomes a Dolphins fan. Oh, my goodness. But I, that was like, I can't remember any friends that were like, yeah, I'm a Patriots fan. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, they just weren't good. I mean, the, these, uh, the, these, you know, you have built-in rivalries because these teams are in your division. You face them twice a year. So, yeah, the Bills are rivals with the Jets and the Patriots and they were with, you know the Colts and all that but I mean I really think that like until you there's real hatred and you know you're you're playing in the playoffs and you're stealing the division like it's not a true true rivalry and and Bill's Dolphins in the late 80s early to mid 90s was as fierce in the NFL as it got in my opinion I think it's been missing from sports in Buffalo I think it's it's there just hasn't been a rivalry in any you know major Buffalo sports in a long, long time. Like there's the Sabre Senators, post lockout, but that was pretty short lit. Yeah, that lasted what two years? I would yeah, I would say two, three years. I mean, even I remember people thought they were going to be huge rivals with the Hurricanes because the Hurricanes beat you know beat them out to go to the Stanley Cup final. And I remember the Hurricanes came back the next season, and it was just the arena was just chaos. It was like it was like raucous, and it was like wow, this is crazy. But I mean, well, the Hurricanes weren't any good. Yeah, it's like that. Well, I mean, the Sabres. When you think of, you know, even mild rivals, you don't think of the Hurricanes. And, and people talk about the rivalry with the Maple Leafs. And I mean, when that's been on, it's been good. But I mean, they haven't. It's a built-in rivalry because they're so close and the division foes. But they, they haven't been good at the same time. And like, I mean, I, and they weren't pre- even in the same pre- conference for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they weren't in the same conference till what, 98, 99, I think, or something like that. So. Uh, but they haven't been good at the same time. So I mean, when the the bill, excuse me, when the Sabers were so good, uh, post lockout, the Maple Leafs were terrible, and the Maple Leafs have gotten good, but the Sabers haven't been. I mean, so 
yeah, that's that's a rivalry to some degree, but it's it's not. I mean, to me, it's not fierce or there's no hatred. I mean, I mean, it's the same with Bills Chiefs right now. Like, it's not really, it's not really like this vicious rivalry because the Chiefs, the Chiefs always win in in the postseason. Mm-hmm. They're two and zero in the postseason. Like, it's not a, it's not a real rivalry until the Bills win one of them. True. And, you know, and part of this is. The bills were bad for so long. Like it's hard. To, it's hard to pick up a rivalry and you're not any good. Oh, very true. I mean, that, that's. I think that's that's the the key thing. Like there, I thought for a while, like in the '90s, maybe they they'd pick up a rivalry with Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh got him in '95. I think Bruce was really sick. Yeah, he missed that game. Yeah, but. The Carl Wilson game. I think Carl Wilson started in his place. But then both teams just kind. Of, the Bills weren't very good the next year. You know, or the two years after that, they weren't very good. And they're the Steelers. You know, it just it never, mm-hmm. it never picked up. And you know that would make sense. They're close, similar, similar. You know, mentality city wise, but that never really, really, they've never been good at the same time. It's very true. But I mean, to have this Bills Dolphins rivalry back, in my opinion, and to have it maybe maybe back for years. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty interesting thing because. As I said, if you, if you lived it, if you experienced it, it was it was something else. I mean, and there's, I mean, even it's week four, but I think there's there's still something there for people. Like the the so many people thought that this was going to be just sheer dominance for the Bills in the division for years, like the Patriots had. And if they get usurped after, you know, a few years, I think that'll be that'd be crushing to a lot of people. Like it's like, no, it's finally our time. I guess it's not. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a, I think that's going to be a big deal to people. Of course. I think for the bills, it's at this point, it's just get in, just get in, get into the playoffs and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a significantly, the AFC East now is better than than just about any time that the Patriots won the division over 20 years. Like that was a big piece of the Patriots success was the Bills, the Dolphins and the Jets continued to just shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over again and make mistake after mistake whether it was hires or you know drafting or free agents whatever it was they did more harm to themselves than the Patriots ever did. And I, I think now a lot of these teams are in a good position. You know, the Jets have, have guys. I mean, obviously they're hurting at quarterback, but they have guys everywhere else. The Dolphins are good. The Patriots are... I mean, to me, they're still a formidable team. I mean, no, they're not that great. But yeah. they're still a pretty good team. They're, they're, I think they like the Jets. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, I guess, you know, they just beat the Jets, so I, I, would, I would say they're in a little better position than Jets, but... I think if they if they had if they had a, a a legit quarterback, they'd be on on par with, you know, the Bills and the Dolphins. Wow, strong words, Nick. Well, Mac Jones isn't the answer. I don't think he's the answer. Well, in his defense, I mean, he's got a bunch of Bill Hoppies out there to throw to. <laughs> so they're they're pretty slow. They 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 they're not getting open too much for them. They 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 don't run the forty too fast. Stone hands. Yeah, probably so. All right. 
All right, Bill. Well, while the Bills were were giving the Commanders a drubbing on Sunday, the Sabers were playing their their first preseason game down the road, one that they won against the Capitals four to three. Although it was more like a JV game, would you would you not say? The Capitals lineup was not uh, very impressive. Not only a few established NHL players. Uh, they were just uh, kind of the Hershey Bears, maybe some some other other guys throwing in there. But it wasn't an impressive lineup. And it was, I mean, if, if you saw the game, there were not a lot of people there. I don't know why they scheduled a game while the Commanders were playing in Washington. But I think, you know, it's one of those things they just wanted to play it and Whatever. I mean, well, pre- I mean, I mean <laughs> it is pretty far away from from Washington. And based on the attendance, I don't think there were a lot of Commanders fans anywhere um, Sunday. I don't, I don't know if the, the I don't know if they were all at the Capitals game or what, but I think the stadium was if there weren't more Bills fans, it was pretty close to 50 50. That's amazing. Well, we know Buffalo fans travel well. I know there was there was one one commander's guy kind of near near my window in the in the press box who was very upset at Jack Del Rio said he was embarrassing him. Really? I don't know I don't know if it was a family member or not, but <laughs> but no. Uh, but the Sabers too. I I think they had a couple of of regulars in. JJ Baturka was one of them, but similar. Not not a lot of established guys. But the, it was still a, pr- a pretty. Decent lineup. They had some prospects, some strong AHL players. And I guess a game like that, I mean, you can analyze the preseason a lot of ways, and sometimes you can overanalyze it. But one of the things you look for, in my opinion, is if you're you're playing NHL guys, established NHL guys, against a lineup like the Caps fielded, uh, you know, can those guys stand out? Because they should, even though it's the first preseason game and, you know, it's September – and I thought they did. I mean, uh, Jordan Greenway, Tyson Jost uh, stood out. Uh, Peyton Krebs scored. Uh, Zach Benson, a prospect, uh, scored. So that's a good sign. So if you want to evaluate it from established talent, I mean, uh, you have that. You ex- forgot about Eric Comrie. Eric Comrie played two pretty strong periods. But from a, you know, a prospect standpoint, which a lot of people look at during the preseason, Zach Benson scored uh he played well uh he's he's a guy that i think people i've said it before but i really think sabers fans are gonna like and i don't know if he's gonna stick around this year i doubt it i mean maybe they could keep him and give him a look but i don't think that's gonna happen but i mean fans are just gonna love him because he's he's aggressive he he, he's just ultra talented i mean he's so much fun to watch just the speed the the pure skill but there's an aggressiveness element to it too, so uh, a good opener for them as far as preseason goes. Um, they have a lot of games this week, and uh, we're going to see more and more guys in there. Five games this week, all said and done. Um, three in a row: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they wrap up at home on Saturday. What What do you look for in these games? Obviously. Um, you know, it's hard to compare the NHL and the NFL, but like, do we really care how much Tage Thompson plays in these games, or or how many he plays in? No, you you really shouldn't. I mean, you should. I mean, he'll play whatever two or three. 
Um, and I think that's that's a good number. I mean, you, you don't want to expose these guys too much during the preseason. I mean, you do have to get – Don Granado was just saying it today. He was just talking about getting in game shape, and I think it's something – sometimes people don't realize that, I mean, you could, these guys are in amazing shape, and they train all summer, but until you play a game, until you get in that – I mean, you don't get in game shape. So they do need a little action, but, I mean, no, you don't need to play – Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin and, and, you know, Jeff Skinner and Alex Tuck uh, five times and play them 20-plus minutes. I mean, even, I mean, with Rasmus Dahlin, the Sabres scrimmaged on Saturday, and with, like, 10 seconds left, he blocked a shot and hit his hand. He went off the ice, and, I mean, people were concerned, and it turned out to be nothing. I mean, we went in the locker room, and he was sitting there. You know, he said, uh, all good. But, I mean, that underscores just, I mean, how how crazy it could be that, you, I mean, you can lose guys just like a regular season game. So I don't, I don't think we're going to see these guys overworked. The Sabres have a huge camp roster. They have a lot of draft picks in camp. Or they've had a lot of draft picks, so they have a lot of draft picks in camp. They've invited mo- you know, most of their guys on AHL and ECHL, or most of their AHL contracts, the ECHL guys as well. So, I mean... The, camp, the beginning number at camp was, I think, uh, low 60s. I mean, some guys are hurt, and they sent a couple of guys back. But they have a heck of a lot of guys at camp, and I think they're going to uh, use a lot of them this week. Um, they, if, in, Under normal circumstances, if you have a, a 23-man roster or whatever, you can't play three games in three nights and five and seven or whatever it is. But uh, they have the bodies to do it. Do they play too many preseason games? I think so. I think there's always too many preseason games. If you're going to play that many preseason games, I mean, cut a couple off and make it an 84 game schedule. That's, I mean, that's that's my opinion on it. I, there's just too much risk. There's too much going through the motions. And in the in the NHL, there's there's rules that you have to dress so many veterans and and this and that. But I mean, these teams. They can still field lineups with, especially the when they go on the road. They field lineups with just uh, minor leaguers, and, and it's just it's just not good. So the home team in NHL preseason was always at a pretty big advantage. So it, it's kind of an odd element. I don't think people realize too how just how productive professional practices are, or can be. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at uh, I think the I think what the Bills get done. Way more in their practices than they ever get out of the preseason games. Like their their team periods, like they're still just as competitive. Like if you if you remember the the day where they were they were getting into the scuffles, at one point they were arguing over where the spot of the ball was in an eleven on eleven period. That's how competitive they were. Wow, that's what it was over. I didn't know that. That's that's interesting. But <laughs> but well, and then Darlene blocks a shot in a scrimmage. Right. Right. Like that's the competitor he is, though. You're not going to take that out of him. No, no, and I, I think I feel like you could get more out of out of your top guys in a in a practice than a throwaway preseason game in St. Thomas, Ontario. Well, and I think I can't speak for all coaches, but I think a lot of coaches would would tell you that that you have. I mean, practice. You can. I mean, you set you set the the agenda you can you can focus on whatever you want i mean it's 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 so regimented that i mean it, it's more beneficial than just playing a you know a whatever a whatever game against 
a mishmash of players in, you know, somewhere, you know, that you flew to that day. So it, it's the practice time probably is more beneficial. And pra- I mean, practice time in the NHL is at such a premium as the year goes on. I mean, we saw last year with the Sabres where they were using the sports science and it was whatever they were getting was telling them that these guys needed rest. So they just, they did not practice a lot as the season wore on. And uh, I think it paid off because they had a pretty strong finish. I mean, it's a, it's hard to get behind. I think it's hard for people to watch too. Like you have to be a pretty big diary to sit through those preseason games. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're fun. Um, I mean, anytime you go to a game and if it's like, five to four six to five is usually pretty fun but yeah you're right i mean for for the most part they're i mean they're just not uh, nowhere near on par with uh regular season as you would expect so you have the you have the three goalies still still battling it out here um what are you looking for from them in these preseason games they're all gonna get time they're all gonna get time they're all gonna get a a start as the schedule starts i i my gut still tells me it's Devin Levi and Uka Pekka Lukanen and Eric Comrie is going to either get traded or waived. Um, but I'm just I'm looking to see if, if Devin Levi can kind of pick up where he left off last season. He was starting to he, – well, I shouldn't say he started to. He, he grabbed the job late. In some ways, it might be his to lose. Uh, Uka Pekka Lukanen. I mean, he was very good at times, but uh, I think he struggled also at times. And I think sometimes he gives up some weak goals. I mean, uh, you just want to see if if he can get in a couple games. They're only going to play two periods. You want to see if they can just get in a couple clean games where they where they stop, you know, whatever, twenty one to twenty two shots, and they just build confidence toward the season. I mean, I I think that it's going to play out the way. Most of us think with those two guys, but I mean, again, they they have some. Devin Levi can go to the minors. I, I don't think he will, but he can go. Um, so, and we talk about injuries. I mean, crazy stuff happens. So, I mean, maybe Eric Comrie's around come uh, opening night, but I don't think they're gonna. I mean, I see no way in which they keep three goalies again. I mean, they had three goalies a lot of last year, and it was tons of roster maneuvering. Tons of paper transactions. Uh, they had four goalies toward the end. I mean, it's just it's a lot to handle. It's it's not really good for anyone. So I don't think they're going to go with three. And then they had three goalies, and then UPL ended up getting the lion share of the starts. Anyways, it would be pretty stunning for Devin Levi to not start the season in Buffalo. Yeah, I expect he will. It would be it would it would shock me. Um, he's just and as we've talked about, he's just. Goalies need time, but he's just he's he's a different kind of goal. I mean, he he's just ultra focused. His work ethic, his maturity, the want he has. I know maybe that sounds cliche, but he just he he, he wants it. And everything I've seen from him tells me that he's capable of being an NHL starter at just twenty one years old. I think he 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 also kind of got some time at Northeastern, like. To me, that was that was pretty valuable time for him. Oh yeah, I mean, he played basically almost every game for for two years and was an elite, elite NCAA goalie. Um, just, I mean, some people think one of the best ever, which is, I mean, that's some strong words. I mean, one of the best seasons 
in 21-22, one of the best seasons ever. Uh, a goalie, uh, someone told me that maybe only Ryan Miller's uh, season, whatever that was, 2001, 2002, or 2000, 2001 at Michigan State was, was better than Levi's uh, first season. So, I mean, he he had he had two years of develop, constant development at, at Northeastern for sure. And he's played some international hockey with with Team Canada, and so he's got some experience. Like I, I, I it just wouldn't make much sense to me for him to be in Rochester at all. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't. Th- I think he's he's too mature. He's too seasoned at this point. But if that did happen, I don't think it's the end of the world. I mean, if I, I just don't. I think uh, we react to these things too much. I mean. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes guys need it, and I don't. I don't think it'll be him. But you know, I remember Casey Middlestead uh, four years ago went to Rochester, and uh, I think people thought that was a sign, or I, you know, it was a sign that he wasn't, you know, maturing at the rate, developing at the rate people expected. And he was struggling, but he went down there. Uh, he wasn't a dominant player by down there by any means, but he went down there. He embraced it. I mean, he. He enjoyed it. If you talk to him, he'll tell you how much he really just had fun with the experience, had a blast, and he got better from it. So, what looked like was a, you know, a, a, a step back in his career really moved him forward. If that doesn't sound corny, <laughs> no, no. And then you know, you you go from a young guy to to Victor Olafson who I think a lot of people didn't expect to 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 be with the team um kind of a kind of an odd odd season for him last year he's out of the lineup um he kind of disappears at stretches and then you look up and he's hovering around 30 goals yeah it was it was one of the oddest seasons by a Sabres forward in recent memory I mean I can't think of a uh, one quite like that, where a guy sets a career high for goals, he's pushing 30, and he's out of the lineup for five straight games with playoff implications, the biggest games of his career, he's on the sideline. But it happened, and I think most of us thought that it was they were going to move on from him. They were uh, going to trade him at some point during the off season. But I think Jack Quinn's injury... His torn Achilles really changed that because if you trade Jack Quinn, or excuse me, if you trade Victor Olafson and you're without Jack Quinn, that's like 42 goals out of the lineup right away. And you expect Jack Quinn to mature and to be around that 20 goal mark at least. I mean, Victor Olafson, uh, I mean, he could score 30 goals in the league, no, pro- no doubt, in my opinion. So, I mean, if if you're pulling that from your lineup, I mean, all of a sudden you're at a disadvantage. And I know the Sabres score a lot of goals, but I mean, you can't afford to f- suddenly lose 40 goals or whatever from your from two of your top wingers. So he's here. I think they want to put him in better positions to succeed. Um, maybe they put him on the second line now. Maybe they give him time with Dylan Cousins. There's a spot open with Jack Quinn injured. Um, but I think also that Victor Olsen. Uh, we talked to him today. He's he's cognizant that, yeah, he did some good things and he scored even strength goals last year, which uh, you know he, he early in his career he piled up a lot of goals on the power play, so he evolved in that way. But he he's cognizant that he has to get better five on five. He has to be a better defensive presence, two way player. Uh, that he can't be a minus twenty three. And 
I think you'll see him improve in that area. Now, how much, I don't know, but I, I think you'll see a better Victor Olofsson this year. Is it just the, is it just the, the defensive play? Is it the consistency of how frequently he puts the puck in the net? Is it the fact that I think he probably needs to be with... He's not going to create a, a ton of goals for himself. He sees that guy that that is a beneficiary of another playmaker. Oh, for I think. sure. Um, is it is it just the is it just the the defensive hangup? Do you think that that put him in the doghouse? Well, he is he is very very streaky. I mean, he 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 goes he'll go on a run where you know if he scores six goals in seven games, then he'll go two or three weeks without scoring. And a lot of scores are like that. That's just the nature of the game. But they want more consistency there. But I, I think the biggest thing is that he's just he's not that great defensively. I don't think he's hard to play against defensively. And uh, we, we saw last year what happened. I mean, when you fall the lineup, when you're a minus 23, I mean, second worst rating on the team to Jacob Bryson. Uh, I, I, I think that he he's grasped that if he wants to stay in Buffalo and he likes being in Buffalo, that he has to, he has to evolve. And he, he was viewed as a one dimensional player early in his career, just a guy with a a wicked release on the power play. And he, he's evolved in many ways into a much better presence five on five. So I don't think it's out of the question that he can, he can change at age 28 into a better two way forward. He's going to have to sacrifice, probably sacrifice some offense. I mean, Don Granado was explaining it to us today that guy, a lot of guys like him, guys, you know, scores their whole life. Um, you know, they get to the NHL and they're they're so focused on scoring and they're just they're reading the play like they have to score, and they they really just have to read the play for just how it's unfolding, basically, and and just you know wait for your opportunities. Don was saying you get 20 shifts in a game or whatever, you're not going to score 20 goals. I mean, you just have to kind of take what's there and move from there. That has to be an indictment of where the Sabres are roster-wise too, though. Like, I think I think it kind of says that maybe the Sabres don't have enough two-way guys because you, Miroslav Shatan, perfect example, um, wasn't a great defensive player. No, but they had a whole roster too. Streaky too, but they had a whole roster of defensive guys. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a they didn't have anybody like that like him that could put the puck in the net. So they overlooked the defensive part because of what he could do on offense. If they had more two way guys now, could they overlook his defensive play? Maybe, but I think the roster is for for all the strides they've made um, over the past two years and for how good they are offensively. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot of de- defensive deficiencies. They gave up a lot of goals last year. And I, I think that's the next thing for, for this whole roster as a whole, whole, just playing a tighter, more rigid game and limiting those opportunities. Because if they, I mean, if they, if they don't score like they, if the goals go down a little bit, I don't think that's a huge, huge deal. But I mean, if they don't, uh, you know, really decrease their goals against. Their, I mean, they're going to be in trouble. I think one of the things that's always been interesting the last couple of years is they don't they don't generate a lot of offensive play from the corners or behind the net. They they a lot on the half wall, a lot around the blue line. And 
you just wonder they've got so many young guys. They've had so many young guys the last two years. Are they just not used to having to go into those corners? You know, you go, you play in, even in the juniors, you're you're the best player. You're the most skilled player. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to go in the corners. That's not what you have to do. Right. But then when you get to the NHL, you can only have so many guys that don't have to go in the corner. Like some of them, some some at some point, you have to evolve and and kind of get some of that grittiness and some of that toughness and be able to go to the corner, go behind the net, go in front of the net. So it's interesting to see. I think maybe we'll see a couple of guys kind of change the way they play, or I don't want to say change, but evolve. Right. No, you're right. That's a natural part of maturation. Just learning the price you have to pay to score goals in the NHL because most of the goals are scored around the net. I mean, whatever finesse moves or getting by on raw skill they pulled at you know previous levels, it's not it's not going to fly most times. So that's a natural part of maturation. Just Paying a price to score, getting to the, they call it the dirty area, and you know Zach Benson scored yesterday, and I believe he, I believe he tipped a shot in front of the net, and he's he's not very tall, and he was battling a guy in front. Uh, it wasn't crazy battle, but he was there was a guy much bigger on him, and he managed to t- touch the puck to tip the puck. So, if you're a Sabres fan. Uh, that's a good sign that this kid's 18, first preseason game, and he's doing things like that. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Cousins is a guy I think becomes a two-way guy. I think he's got that written all over Oh, him. for sure. Um, Casey Middlestad, I think, could be a two-way guy. Casey Middlestad is, uh, have been around him his entire career, uh, and he's just he, – he has a determination that I don't think people realize, and he's very quietly – Put some struggle, like we were talking about. He went to Rochester in 2019, right before Christmas. He's put a lot of struggles behind him, uh, and he's gotten better and better. I mean, he, this is a guy that you know got devoted to the minors uh, after spending you know a year and a half in the NHL as a regular. Uh, comes back, he's on the taxi squad, but he he's just kept getting better and better, and he he. Uh, he goes through the 21-22 season, gets hurt opening night. It's just hurt most of the year. But he made he managed to make it back, and he he did some good things in the final week. And then last year, we sorry, final weeks, uh, RJ's final goal that he called was that overtime winner. But last year, I mean, he stayed healthy the whole year, and he, he thrived in a couple different roles as a center, as a winger, and he kept getting better. I mean, those games down the stretch, I mean, he was one of, if not their best players many nights. He got He got some top line. Yeah, he did. Run. When Tage Thompson was hurt, he got some run on the top line. And it wasn't I don't think it was a case of those guys just, you know, making him better, so to speak. I think it was I think he moved in there and fit in very well. And they I think they'd like him to be a center again this year. Now where he fits in exactly, because the Sabres have a good problem because they have Tage Thompson, they have Dylan Cousins down the middle, so that gives them kind of two top centers entrenched. I mean, do they want to play him on the third line? Do they, what do they want to do with him? So they have options. I think he's a guy that he'll, he'll play wherever they want him to, and he was not going to pout. So I think Casey Middlestat, whatever, he had 59 points last year, something like that. I mean, he, he's a guy we don't always talk about, but he could be poised for a, a significant season, in my opinion. All right, Bill. Any any other observations from your your first week at at training camp? 
Just uh, as we kind of talked about last week, just a lot of depth in camp. They've they've rebuilt things nicely in the past two three years. It, it's come a long way, a lot quicker than many of us expected, and the, the, the talent level is high. I mean, there's there aren't a lot of uh, roster spots up for grabs, but you can see uh, kind of see some legit competition. You can see how when they when a guy if they want to trade a guy, if a guy, whatever, moves on free agency, they have guys to fill the holes. It's unique. They haven't had this in a long time. You having having fun being back out there? Yes, yes. It means I have to get up in the morning, but uh, it's worth it. <laughs> you, you haven't sent out any of your signature your signature tweets yet. What's that? What are those tweets? Usually, you have some 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 comment about the weather. Or... Oh, oh. Well, my my can't my iphone is malfunctioning so i've been having trouble tweeting photos so i've missed some prime opportunities to tweet them back on the ice for practice or stretching so we'll get to those as soon as my phone uh gets fixed or i get a new one are they are they still tweets what are they called now posts x's i don't know if you know i'll be honest i don't even know i see it, it's posts or something like repost they use that i think it's at every tweet so well, if if you're not familiar with Bill, you can follow him on Twitter or X or whatever Elon Musk is calling it at, at Bill Hoppy NHL. That's right. You can read my work at buffalohockeybeat.com. And, uh, yeah. So, Nick, this was fun. Are you picking the Bills this week? Well, that's right. I, I haven't asked for your prediction. So, you kind of this is kind of where you dance around it and don't want to give a score, but uh, are you willing to at least give a prediction? Oh boy, a I winner, it, I should say. I think it's a close game. Mm-hmm. Nine to six. You know, <laughs> no. I think, I think everyone's gonna. The Bills are right now. They they opened at two and a half point favorites. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Who knows how if if the Bills being at home has anything to do with that? Whatever. I think it does. I think when you when you look Sunday, almost everybody's going to pick the Dolphins mm-hmm. nationally. When that happens, that always makes me uneasy. So I'm going to go with the Bills. All right. Like if if it was reverse, if if everybody was on the Bills bandwagon there, I'd probably say the Dolphins. Because it never pans out that way. Right. In, a, in an evenly matched game, it never, like when everybody's on one team, it never turns out that way, it seems. I hear you. So my thought is I'll go, I'm going to give a score. Bills 31, Dolphins 28. Still, you're still on the Bills bandwagon. Yep. Nine to, you know, I mentioned 9 to 6. The, uh, the 1988 Bills beat the Dolphins at Rich Stadium. Nine to six. You can look it up. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Do you? They they also <laughs> lost the Jaguars nine to six two years ago. Oh gosh, I forgot about that game. A, a thrilling offensive shootout. After winning big in Kansas City, they what was it a few weeks later? They a month later they yeah, went to Jacksonville. Not, not too long, yeah. And lost nine to six. Yeah, that that's crazy. The other Josh Allen had a big day. Oh, that's right. Jaguars, Josh Allen. Speaking speaking of which, the Jaguars are are headed to London after after a dismal performance against the Houston Texans. 
they're headed to London this week. Bills are headed there next week to play the Jaguars. Jaguars are getting a, a weak head start. Is that a co- competitive disadvantage for the Bills? I don't know. Why are they going there early? I'm confused. Because they play in a game there. But when are the Bills going? Next week. Jaguars are playing two weeks in a row. Oh, they're playing two weeks in London? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, interesting. All right. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure they're. That's that's they're. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know they uh, were playing. Teams are playing two games there now. Very interesting. It doesn't tell me when they where they play. Yeah, they're playing in London. So Falcons. Do you like those games? No. Why not? Who wants to watch football at nine thirty in the morning? I don't. I mean. Uh, I don't want to get up to watch the Bills. I mean, you shouldn't have to wake up early to watch football. I have a brother who lives on the West Coast, and it's it's just weird. Oh yeah, you got the. I mean, if you follow a team, you're watching games at 10 a.m. Right. And then the the games are over by like eight. Yeah, yeah. I, I that would throw me off for sure. But yeah, the London games are. If they want to try it, okay. But this, I don't know how many there are now, but there's too many in my opinion. No, I'll also say I'm more than happy. More than happy that they're playing at one o'clock and not and not the Sunday night game this week. Well, from a deadline standpoint, that can't be too easy. No, but at, at the same time, your whole day is off. Of course, it's a mess. It's a mess. But I, I mean, primetime games is a, if you're just watching as a fan, they're a heck of a lot of fun. I don't know. It depends on how old you are too. Like at a certain, like I don't know. It's 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 tough. Some of those primetime games are tough to stay up. And plus, you've been watching football all. If you're watching at home, you've been watching football all day. It's a tough deal. Uh, if you say so, whatever. <laughs> I'm a cranky old man, Bill. I know, I know. You're taking on my. Uh, I've been hanging around you too much, I guess. I, are you, I'm stealing your your gimmick. Yeah, that's my thing. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. Anyway, all right, Nick. Episode four. The fourth edition of Buffalo Press Box in the in the books. Thank you for joining us. And we will catch you next week.